1: everyone, Michael J. here, and welcome to the first installment of the History of Rabbit and Red Radio. Tonight's episode will feature our coverage of the Psycho franchise, not the whole franchise, Psycho 1, 2, 3, and 4, that Alex um, reworked in 2012. We recorded it in September of 2010, and I added a little... Um, a few bits and pieces here and there. Uh so you will be hearing from Alfred Hitchcock on Psycho, Anthony Perkins on Psycho 2 and 3, and director Mick Garris on Psycho 4. And uh that'll be in between um myself and Alex talking. This was from one of our Sunday shows. We used to do um Sunday shows for I think about 6 months. Um I, uh, in 2010, I don't think it went over to 2011, I believe it was just 2010. So, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the history of Rabbit and Red.
2: Do you dream vividly? Uh, reasonably so, yes. I've, I've, uh, I think that's almost the basis of one's work, is... Um, the making of nightmares with as much realism as you can. Just as in a dream, it is extremely vivid. Mm. After all, when you're on your way to the gallows in the dream, it is so vivid that you're glad when you wake up. Have you ever studied, r- seriously that is, um, psychological textbooks? No. no. Well, I was present a year or so ago at a group therapy meeting at a mental hospital where doctors and patients alike I'm afraid, tore Psycho to shreds and said that in their opinion it had set back the cause of mental health several years. How do you answer critics who say things like this? Well, I don't know um, who they were. No. Because, um, you know, people often complain about the effect of films on certain minds, but they generalise about this. I have to ask them, what minds does it affect? When Psycho was made, a man was arrested for murder in Los Angeles, and he had confessed to killing three women. The last murder he committed, he said, was influenced by the fact that he had just seen Psycho. So naturally, the newspapers got onto me and asked for my comment. And I said, what film did he see when he murdered the second woman? (laughs) And am I to assume that when he murdered the first woman, he had just finished drinking a glass of milk?
3: <laughs> Very good
2: so, answer. So uh, when they say it, set it back. But what mind was set back? Yes, yes, I, I see the point. You see, people always generalise, and of course it's the sick mind that is affected by these things. The, the mind that is already sick long before it sees it, you mean? Well, you know, people... To me, when they complain, say, about Psycho, they lack the sense of humour that I had to have when I made it. Yes. Because you couldn't make a picture like Psycho without your tongue in your cheek.
4: Welcome to the in-depth look at the Psycho Movies. This segment is Psycho 1960. This was recorded on September 12th, 2010, on the 18th anniversary of the death of Anthony Perkins. Your radio hosts are myself, Alex Edwards, and Michael J.
5: And as I said, the spotlight tonight is on the Psycho franchise, starring Anthony Perkins. And I'm joined tonight by Mike. Hi, hey, Mike.
6: Hello, Alex. How are you? Uh, this fine evening.
5: Pretty good. I'm pretty excited about tonight's show, and I just want to thank you for joining me tonight. We are going to delve into the Psycho franchise. I'll give uh, start off with my personal experience. Psycho is my favorite horror franchise, and that's not said very often. We all hear Friday the 13th, Mike's, I think, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw, some people are into that. A lot of people say Nightmare on Elm Street. Nobody says Hellraiser. And nobody says Leprechaun. And most people don't say Psycho, but not for the same reasons as Hellraiser or Leprechaun. See, Psychos are actually good, and one of the greatest films, well, the first one, anyway. Despite being a horror movie, Psycho is actually very respected amongst the industry of entertainment in general. For example, the American Film Institute voted The Line a boy's best friend is his mother, as the 56th greatest movie quote. They said, Psycho is the 14th greatest movie of all time, every, out of every movie. They said, Norman Bates is the second greatest villain in the last 100 years, which is basically every villain. Right. And it ranked number one out of the 100 thrills film series. So, Psycho is not just my cup of tea. It looks like the general public also realizes how amazing that movie was. And to celebrate the 50th anniversary, they are also releasing Psycho, the original, on Blu-ray. And me and Mike will be the first people online. I believe it's October 19th. I will get you that exact date. Believe you are correct. You will air. Okay. You are correct. October 19th,
6: Tuesday. Yes.
5: So just in time for Halloween, you'll have Psycho on Blu-ray, which I will not watch any other version until that comes out. There is a lot of things about this movie to be told. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes information. For example, as we know, this movie was filmed in black and white. It was Mm -hmm. filmed in black and white for a couple of reasons, though. In 1960, Alfred Hitchcock thought it would be too gory and so in in color. So, of course, they wanted to make it black and white. But the other reason, and probably the main reason, is because you wanted to film it for under a million dollars. And as we all learned with the movie Clerks, obviously... It does make a huge difference, I guess. If you film it in black and white or in color, it saves a lot of money, and it is the make or break of a lot of the films. This movie wasn't black and white. It was actually Alfred Hitchcock's last black and white movie he was to ever make. What do you think the black and white gave, and do you think it took anything away from this movie?
6: I don't think it took anything away. I do think it gave it um, a sense of atmosphere, I, I really think if you made the movie in color, it definitely would have taken away from it. I don't think it would have been as chilling. It just—it feels like a film noir type type of movie. Like, you know, it just feels like like a classic film. You like know, you watch it and it just—it feels—it just—it sets the tone that it's a very creepy movie, especially like when she's driving to the hotel in the rain and it's just like the way that it's shot. It wouldn't look as good in color. It wouldn't feel as good if it were in color.
5: I believe that because Alfred Hitchcock did so much TV and film in black and white, I think we needed him to be seasoned mm-hmm. in the black and white whole thing with lighting and, and the way shots work and the, the way you dress when it's in black and white and the way you do everything. Everything's different. Right. A lot of people don't know that. Everything's different in Black and White. He was more seasoned, and he just knew how to do harm in Black and White, and that's very important. We went on the money aspect. The film actually only took 800000 to make, and it earned more than $40 million, and as these new DVDs come out, Blu-ray, is going to make even more. The movie was voted seventh most scariest movies of all time by Entertainment Weekly. So that still holds up. I think that poll was done pretty recently. Right. So that's pretty important. The music of Psycho. Mike, would you compare the music of Psycho to the music of Halloween in terms of it made the movie and it's as iconic and recognizable?
6: Oh, most definitely. I mean, if you did not, if you didn't have that music, you you, you wouldn't have a movie. It defines the movie. It it kind it of does. makes it what it is.
5: You know, sometimes I um I know you guys are all gonna think I'm a creeper, but I'll drive around listening to this music in my car. When I do, I feel like I'm looking through the eyes of Norman Bates. I feel like I'm him sometimes because the, the music pulls me in so much that you actually see through his eyes and you, you understand his logic. And as crazy as he is, mm-hmm. you actually feel a comfort being in that lost, crazy state of mind. It's, I mean, maybe normal people don't, but I, I do. And I get a little more into things that I'm passionate about, so I'll do things like that. And what's interesting about the music, it was all done by Bernard Herrmann, all on string.
7: Right.
5: And Alfred Hitchcock was so happy with the music that he actually doubled his salary after the movie was done. He actually got paid $34,501 for doing that, that music, and he was supposed to make half of that. But that's how happy Hitchcock was with the music. And um, that
6: was a lot of money back then.
5: Well, Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins, made $40,000 for that whole role. This guy got thirty-four. Now, just so you know, isn't it kind of strange that Anthony Perkins was paid the same sum of money that Marion Crane stole? Yeah, that is uh,
6: that is definitely ironic.
5: And the, and the soundtrack for the movie also is ranked number four from American Film Institute. So th- this movie just gets high marks all over the place.
7: It's,
5: yeah. uh, it's unbelievable. You would believe something like that because... There's so much was put into this that the shower scene alone had over ninety splices in it. Right. And it took a full week to shoot that shower scene. Um, she was she was hired to work for three weeks on psycho. Guess right. where one of those weeks were spent.
6: Was in the shower. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And she had a body double. Oh yeah, I place.
6: believe that. And and I'm sure that they you know, they took every precaution, you know, not to show nudity in the way that they shot it. And I also heard that for for the knife stab, they used a watermelon. Off camera, somebody stabbed a watermelon. Yeah, that's the sound. That's right. Yeah.
5: So basically, I just want to fill everybody in. There's so much to to, to this movie. Um, if you've seen any documentaries, you'd all see. It was the first film, American film, ever to show a toilet bowl in a movie. In 1960, yeah, never happened. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that happened, though. And it was the first toilet bowl flushing as well. And it you know, goes hand in hand. That was because this movie has a lot of morals in it. There's actually so much to this movie, there's so much subtext, that it would almost, like, make your head spin. Just a couple examples, okay? What, what isn't told to us directly, but is, like, demonstrated through images and subtext and, and other characters, is that everyone is living getzoid realities. Like, each of the main characters have their own psychological narrative, and their identities shift, just as Norman Bates did. For example, Marion Crane, she goes and she plays a humble secretary. Then, she, then all of a sudden she has another dual identity where she's, a, she's sneaking around with Sam at lunchtime, uh, having sex with him and not having a respectable relationship. And then she's also a thief and an embezzler and a sneak. You know, she plays different I- identities. It's weird because everybody in the, in the film kind of does that.
6: Right. So, excuse me real quick, though. So do you yeah. think that that's why she ended up getting killed? Do you think that this was really um, the beginning of, like, the morality play in horror films where, you know, she got killed because she was an embezzler and kind of um, an and adulteress and, and things like that?
5: Think of it like this, like, how I- ironic it is that in the shower scene, right before she gets killed, notice that through that shower curtain, all we see is the silhouette of the killer. Basically, right. we don't know who it is, Mike. It could have been we don't know really, and we didn't really know at the moment. If you, you know, we all know because unfortunately we're all told the whole thing before we even watch the movie at our age. In reality, to Marion, that could have been her own mother for her disapproval. It could, you know, it could have been like all these things. It could have been Norman's mother. It could have been Sam Loomis's mother. It could have been the guy who she was stealing the money from. It could have, you know, all these people that she betrayed in some way or another. Maybe Sam's mysterious ex-wife that he talked about in the beginning of the movie. Mm
8: -hmm.
5: And she's going to be killed as she's washing herself and cleansing herself of the sins. Because when you feel like, for example, when girls get raped, they feel a lot of comfort by taking a shower. They feel like they're washing themselves, you know, of what just happened. Mm -hmm. It's all these people to deliver, you know, ret- retribution. We're not really certain who's attacking her. And, and it's 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 a really great crafted
6: concoction of fear, I think.
8: Yeah, and, and the
6: funny thing is, for that shower scene, you know, when she's getting stabbed and you see the silhouette of the mother, that was not Anthony Perkins. That was a double because he was actually in a play and he was not there for that shot.
5: Well, actually, there's a lot of rumors about that. I'm glad you talked about it.
7: Because
5: mm-hmm. um, contrary to popular belief, a lot of people think it was because of the scheduling conflict and he was doing a, a musical uh, called uh, Greenville, I think. But it was actually a deliberate decision of Alfred Hitchcock because Hitchcock was worried that since Norman was playing a dual role that the right. audiences would suspect him. So they wanted it because they thought they, that they would recognize his silhouette with him with a broad shoulders and this and that. And that, that really worried them.
6: Right. So
5: they actually purposely were never going to have Anthony Perkins be the one who stabs that
6: girl. Ah, uh, that makes sense.
5: Yeah.
6: Definitely makes so, sense.
5: So, it's crazy. You know how um Alfred Hitchcock didn't want nobody to enter the movie theater before the movie even started? He said, if you're not in your seat when the movie starts, and he, he, he made it really strict that nobody could enter the movie theater until the movie started. Right. And the reason why is because he wanted to build the whole story so you get totally gripped in the character. And then, when she gets killed in the first, I guess, 40 minutes or so, you're completely shocked. Right, so what he actually did to even further the whole mystery, because you weren't even supposed to know that it was Norman, so what he did was, so that nobody really knew who wasn't a part of the movie and maybe walked by while they were filming it, they actually had a chair that uh, you know one of those canvas chairs that all the actors sit in, right, and on the back of it, on the back it said Mrs. Bates, ah. so that nobody knew that there wasn't a separate person a separate character, and you thought that Mrs. Bates really was the killer. Right. So many things went into this movie. So how do you feel, Mike, like when you first saw this movie and you saw the main character of the movie get killed, and, of course, we all, in our minds, we switch over to Norman afterwards, of course. Did, did it do what it was supposed to do? You were supposed to wonder, is, is the cop going to find her? Is he going to trail her down? You were supposed to wonder, is, is she going to go to Sam? Is she going to meet up with him? Are they going to live this life? Are they going to do this now? All of a sudden, Sam. You don't even right. exist no more. Goodbye. Instead of just random kids getting knocked off like in all these newer movies and we have no real ties and their life was pretty meaningless, right. so you give meaning to somebody's life and it was going somewhere. Yeah. And all of a sudden it all just comes to an abrupt end. You're like, whoa, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Is that how you felt?
6: Well, see, my initial thought, and remember, um, I saw this for the first time when I was very young, probably uh, uh, I would say eight or nine, probably the first time I saw it. And I remember when that happened, I instinctually, I felt, you know, where are they going from here? You know, because you kill off the, 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 the main character, the heroine of the film. And it's like, where are you going to go? Where are you going to take this? You know, and obviously, you know, what they did, the search for the, um, for the missing girl, which I guess you knew was going to happen because she, as you said, embezzled uh, $40,000. Yeah,
5: and, uh, she had people
6: looking for her. Right.
5: Bad, bad choice to kill. Bad uh, choice of Norman. <laughs> but, of course, he didn't know,
8: so we no. can't say
5: that. The, the turning point of the film, where she gets killed, Norman cleans her up. But we still believe his mother did it. Because he says, mother, blood, blood. Mm-hmm. comes down. He looks shocked when he sees her in the bathtub or wherever, uh, laying halfway out. Cleans her up and dumps her body off. Now, Norman's still doing something wrong. He's covering up for his mother in our right. eyes at this point. However... We begin to feel. We begin to take his side of things when that car gets pushed into that swamp, and it stops going down, and some of that car is still sticking up. Yeah. And and we're all like, Oh God, go down, go down, go down. And then you say to yourself, Wait a minute, wait, wait. Why do we want to? You know.
6: Why are we cheering for an accessory to murder at that point? Right. You know. And
5: Alfred Hitchcock is so smart that the way to make us join Norman's side is to not have the car go down. And then all of a sudden, even we want him to get away with it.
6: Right.
4: Damn.
5: Now Norman is our guy. And right. that's how you invest yourself. He knew how to invest us in the characters. And that was very, very well done. Very mm-hmm. good choice. Now let's talk about Norman's relationship with his mother. Well, here's one obvious clarification of the relationship. Well,
8: a boy's best friend is his mother.
5: However... When you watch the subsequent films, we we don't really feel that way, if you know what I mean.
6: Oh, definitely not. You know.
5: Yeah, that's strange. But we won't talk about that yet. Yeah. Very interesting how the whole explanation at the end... See, I want to wrap this up, because I'm I'm trying to get a half hour for each movie. Right. Okay, I just want to say one of the great lines, I did make a note of this. One of my favorite lines was when Norman says, The fire will go out, it'll be cold and, and damp like a grave her room if he abandons her and you can never get out people scratch and claw because they're in their own traps and only at the air only at each other and for all their efforts they never budge an inch and you know that was one of the greatest lines I think of horror movies very well written I felt that way a lot of times in my own life
8: Hmm.
6: it was definitely a great line very powerful yeah
5: the writing of this movie is just as powerful as the cinematography the music and the whole thing
6: Mm definitely definitely so
5: how did you feel about the explanation at the very end when the uh, I guess psychologist talk to Norman? And he comes back in and he explains everything.
6: Well, you know, at that point you just you know everything is kind of handed to the viewer. You know, it makes you feel like for the for the last um, hour and forty four minutes, I believe it is that that you know you were on this this wild ride inside the man the mind of a deeply uh, disturbed individual and who at the end. When we leave him, and he's in the cell, at that point, he's totally insane. He's totally lost it.
5: Do you you begin to feel sympathy for Norman at that point? And now do you feel like he really didn't kill anybody? He's just crazy.
6: And do
5: you begin to sympathize with the insanity plea?
6: In that sense, yes, because, look, he really was out of his mind. He really did believe that he was a different person. He he believed he was his mother. That's the bottom line. So you got to feel sorry for that. You really do.
5: And just in case anybody doesn't know, the technical condition Norman Bates has is disassociative identity disorder.
3: It's sad when a mother has to speak the words that condemn her own son, but I couldn't allow them to believe that I would commit murder. They'll put him away now, as I should have years ago. He was always bad. And in the end, he intended to tell them I killed those girls and that man as if I could do anything except just sit and stare, like one of his stuffed birds. Well, they know I can't even move a finger, and I won't. I'll just sit here and be quiet, just in case they do suspect me. They're probably watching me. I'll we'll let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even gonna swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know and they'll say, Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly.
9: brought Psycho to its frightening conclusion, he created one of the most deranged characters in the history of film. But the producers of Psycho 2 may have outdone even the old master himself. At least some people are likely to think that much crazier than the character of Norman Bates was the decision to bring him back in a sequel. Anthony Perkins, not surprisingly, doesn't agree.
10: If you undertake to to sequelize a movie, I think you're... uh... You're taking a risk but i think all of show business is a risk and if you really love the movie that you are uh, extending then if you really love it i think you have a much greater chance of of achieving something good than people who say well i guess it's time for one more mutiny on the bounty let's crank one out i'm not saying that's what's going to happen but uh i think uh, love is one of the most important ingredients in in sequelizing
9: did you yourself have any say in keeping this a non exploitive film
10: I really didn't have to, because I could tell that the producer and the director, although, and the writer, although they could easily have thrown together a casually made film called Psycho 2, which had the, the easy ingredients of the house, the character of the mother, the, the split personality guy, the motel, all those things you could have thrown together and come up with a, a facile, bloody, uh, typical um, slash and spatter, as they're known in the trade. Uh, Film which would have probably been successful, but I could tell that these guys were more serious They were uh, many of them had worked in known Hitchcock, and they were uh, they wanted to make a dignified film That would honor the original
9: you always seem to play these strange characters And yet you're not particularly strange yourself has typecasting been a problem for you
10: Well the thing about typecasting is it, it never really touches you the person it touches your career It touches producers and directors who think about you and maybe even audiences, but you know who you are So you are the one person who isn't really affected by typecasting. I am not my career Especially now that I have another career as a father and a husband Those are um, just as important to me maybe even more important to me than a career on the screen
9: Do you think that you have concentrated on the quality of your family life your home life to the detriment of your career?
10: If I have I don't care Uh, I might have cared if I'd been 20. It might have been a real fight. Gee, I've got to go to Japan and make this picture for six months and I can't take the kids and maybe we'll leave them with a nurse or all those those questions which uh, can never have a satisfying answer. But when you're 40 and you realize the relative importance of things versus people, you, uh, if you're lucky, you have the awareness sometimes to dedicate your life to people.
4: Welcome to the in depth look at the Psycho movies. This segment is Psycho 2. This was recorded on September 12, 2010, on the 18th anniversary of the death of Anthony Perkins. Your radio hosts are myself, Alex Edwards, and Michael J.
5: But Norman Bates comes home in Psycho 2. Norman Bates, after part 1, he was locked up in a mental institution. Uh, I don't think it was Smith's Grove, but uh, it was a mental institution. He was locked up for 22 years under a doctor's care, and after 22 years, they felt he was well enough to return to society. That is the opening of Psycho 2. For some reason, Norman decides to return to his old home on top of the hill right at the base motel. Uh, Mike, do you think that that was a good idea for a guy who done all of his killing? in this area, and his mother's house. I mean, you've you got to know that it would play psychological damage on somebody.
6: All right, here's the thing. You have um, Dr. Raymond. He was under the care of Dr. Raymond. Here's the thing. He, he, was, he was locked up for 22 years. He dealt with, you know, he, he probably went through intensive therapy to, you know, um, have the, uh, the other personality put to rest. I mean, not to say that he was completely cured, because in a sense, I don't think you're ever completely cured once you're disturbed like that. But the thing is, you know, you need to face that. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to face it, even though, if you remember, in the beginning of the film when he went back to the house, his doctor said, you know, are you sure you want to do this? And he said, "Uh, yeah. You know, because I think in his mind... Norman knew to truly beat it, to truly regain his sanity, he had to do this.
5: Uh, I think you're right. They always tell you to confront your fears.
6: Mm.
5: And he wanted to have, you know, someone on staff to look after Norman. Uh, that would have been a good idea. They said something about cutbacks or something like that.
6: Right.
8: So that, that was not going to happen. Okay,
5: well, I just want everybody, I'm sure everybody knows, but Vera Miles the lady who played Marion Crane's sister in Psycho 1 reprised her role as Lila Loomis. Well, actually, it's Lila Loomis instead of Lila Crane because after her and Sam look for Marion and realize she's dead and Norman attacks and everything else, they eventually um, get married. He died before Part 2 even took place and together they had a child, Mary Loomis, played by Meg Tilly. Meg Tilly was never allowed to watch television as a kid. And she, she had no idea that Psycho was a really big movie. She didn't understand why. When Psycho 2 came out, it was a big thing that Anthony Perkins was coming back to play Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. And as an up-and-coming actress, Meg Tilly didn't understand why she wasn't kind of getting more of the attention. And Anthony Perkins overheard her. She shot half of her scenes already. And she said, why is Tony getting all this attention? Anthony Perkins heard that and was very upset, and he wanted her to be replaced, even, even though half of her films, uh, half of her scenes were already shot, and he, he no longer would say a word to her
6: on the set of Psycho 2 after that.
7: Hmm.
6: Had to be very awkward. Yeah. You know, because I wonder uh, what they... See, here's the thing. I wonder what's at that point... Because, you know, they, they don't usually shoot films in sequence. So I kind of wonder at that point what scenes they shot and what scenes they had left to shoot.
5: It would be really sad if the scenes that... See, they were doing a lot of bonding at the beginning of the movie. It would be sad to know that there was no real closeness between the two, even when she was hugging him, when she was hugging him in the room and he gave that really emotional speech about... His how mother making the toast to
6: cheese sandwiches? Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. Just think of all the good things. He goes, no, they're they're not there anymore. She goes, of course, are. No, no, the doctors took them away with everything else. All I have left is these toasted cheese sandwiches. I gotta tell you, Mike, I must be crazy because when I see these really emotional things with Norman and hear these mu- this music, right? I really relate. I I relate to this guy. I'm I'm sorry. I I know exactly how he felt when he said that. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I crazy?
6: Well, you know. No, I'm crazy. I mean. I mean, dude, people relate to films in, in different ways. I mean, there obviously is, is a part of you that, you know, feels that they can understand what Norman feels, what, what Norman was going through at that time for, you know, whatever reason. Yeah. It's, it's, it's um, normal. I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, it makes you feel something. That means, you know, that's the sign of a good writer, a good director, you know, uh because but they they can make you feel. Do you
5: think a lot of people felt this way, or is it just like more peculiar people like me?
11: I don't know. I
6: mean, I I bet if you took a poll, you'd probably find that some people, you know, had some sort of emotion, you know, behind it. I mean, I know myself that you know I can and sometimes get emotional and things like that.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, because of the the content. Right.
5: Just some technical information. Um, The original house was used in Cycle 2. However, the motel had
6: to be reconstructed. Right. Which is probably why he was going to paint it yellow, I guess. Yes. Yeah.
5: I I believe after that they kept the motel. They used it for Cycle 3. The motel was reconstructed. Unfortunately, the original motel did not exist. I'm sure the sign was also new. But it it was made almost identically to the Hmm. original. How do you feel about all the um, nods to Psycho-1? For example, when um, Marie Samuels goes to get a room that off, uh, Norman offered her, he goes to reach for um, Cabin 1. Right. And then pulls his hand back because, of course, he's freaked out by killing Mary
6: in the shower. Right.
5: you love that stuff?
6: That was, I mean, that was a very good nod. I thought it was very good because it shows that he, he kind of knows what he did. And, you know, maybe he, it's very tough for him to move past that. But in a sense, that's why he's back at the motel, back at the house, because he's trying to move past it.
8: Here's, here's
5: what I find interesting. If you really want to delve into the psychologicals of this movie. Right. Does it tell you that our evils are instinctive? I mean, he reached for that key.
6: Right.
5: Like, he didn't consciously make the choice. He's subconscious. So subconsciously, is Norman Bates evil, and he has to he has to force himself to behave? And is, so, is evil inherent, or is it a choice?
7: Hmm,
6: that, that's a very good yeah. question. I mean, you got to look at it this way. You know, I'm thinking about it again now that you're talking about it. Maybe he reached for that key because maybe some in, instinct within him said, maybe if he gives you that room, maybe deep down the dark side of Norman will return.
5: Yeah. I mean, Norman's home. He's back. Maybe he told them what they wanted to hear when he was in the institution. But Norman, behind the scenes, with nobody around, he also seems genuine. Another strange scene was when Marie Samuels was sleeping in the bed, and Norman kind of has the butcher knife in his hand pointed right at her. And then when she wakes up and looks at him, he jumps back. Mm -hmm. Now... I used to ask everybody that's who I watch this movie with. Would you ever sleep in the home of Norman Bates in a bedroom with Norman Bates in it and sleep there, dead asleep, while he has a butcher knife in his hand?
6: Mm, I would not be able to sleep.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I wouldn't sleep in a room with Ted Bundy. I wouldn't sleep in a room with Jason, Michael Myers, none of these guys. I, it's just right. amazing how she was okay with sleeping in that bed.
6: Right. But, and, I mean, the thing is, I don't care if, if, if Norman Bates hasn't killed anyone in 50 years. or you know, No, I say that. You know, I, I still wouldn't sleep in a room, in, in a house with him even. I mean, because even before, you know, earlier in the film when she was sleeping in the house and she put the chair in front of the door, I still wouldn't do that. Because, you know what, if he really wants to get you, he'll get through that door.
5: He's crazy. Right. He's, it's not even his choice. So how can you possibly trust the chemical imbalances of a brain? Right. You can't. Right, you can't. That was very trusting of her. So she must have really began to love him, which really shocks me of what she did at the end of the movie. But we have 15 minutes, so just uh, another sad fact of this movie. I, I learned this years ago. The original showerhead used in Psycho was supposed to have been used in this film. Mm-hmm. However, just before filming was to start, somebody on set stole the original showerhead. Oh. So someone had the original showerhead from Psycho in 1960 in their house, and no one will ever know about it. They could have died already, and that was probably thrown out in the garbage. That's disappointing. You know, they could have told certain people, put it in a lock, safety box, whatever, and then when they die, it'll, uh, the information will be given by a lawyer. Whatever. Let's hope that this thing does not end up in the landfill.
8: Hmm.
5: So um, thanks a lot, asswipe.
6: Yeah, right.
5: Okay, a lot of confusion comes from Norman's age when he killed his uh, parents. One of the indications we get of Norman's age is when at the beginning of the movie, he starts hearing voices, coming. everything coming from his mother's room, and he right. looks at the door, and he sees a, a reflection of himself as a kid, which was his son, by the way, Oz Perkins. He was, it? He was the kid who...
6: Yeah, he was, he was
5: the kid you saw in the doorknob reflection.
6: Hmm.
5: As you go into the next movies, you'll see Norman seems to be much older. Right. And if you, if you do the math, Norman should have been about 28 years old by the time cycle one took place. Um, he killed his mother at 10 or 12, I believe. Right. 12. I don't have the exact facts, but I believe it's 12 years old. And you know what I like about this, Mike? And I, I know we both, Halloween has changed our lives. Halloween 1978 was the movie that probably turned both of us into the passionate horror fans that we are now, right? I'm sure of it. Okay. But the biggest flaw of Halloween, and you have to agree, because I know you are willing to agree on things that are just too outlandish. So I'm hoping I can get your, your cosign on this. Okay. The the one flaw of Halloween is that Michael Myers, there's no way on earth this tiny six-year-old kid would have the strength, the energy, the... I mean, mean, do you know any six-year-old that can come up to, even a girl with a knife, and just jam it straight through her body over and over and over and just walk, you know... I guess if you want to say he's possessed, he'll have some abnormal strengths, but I think it's just more realistic that Norman killed his mother and her new... Uh, husband or boyfriend at the time, with a drink. He just served them strychnine, and they drank it and died. Isn't that more believable
6: than a little boy running around with a knife and killing adults? Oh, no, it totally is. I I totally agree with that. I mean, if you look at Halloween, Michael Myers is six years old when he kills his sister. It's kind of hard for me to, you know, fathom that he'd even have the strength to, you know, really... Stab her the way that he did.
5: Yeah, I, it's impossible. But that's six. what you say. It's a movie, and okay, fine, fine. Right. Whatever. Okay, Alfred Hitchcock did not want a sequel to Psycho. So this sounds bad, but it's true. They had to wait till he died
6: to right. film this movie.
5: We all know that Alfred Hitchcock made cameos in, I think, every single movie? Y- yes. That he directed? Mm hmm. Okay. He was in Psycho 1. If you look at um, while Marion's in the bank, you could see him wearing a, cu- a cowboy hat outside the front window.
6: Right.
5: Okay. They did not stop doing that. When Mary and Norman first go into the mother's room
6: mm-hmm. before they turn the
5: lights on, and, right. you know, when she's saying, how about, how about this room? How about, you, know, this and that? you can actually see uh, to the far right a silhouette of Al- Alfred Hitchcock, you know, his um, profile. No way. Yeah.
6: I never noticed that.
5: Yeah. We think that Marie Samuels is being really nice, warming up to Norman, even making believe she doesn't want to stay with him, just to really throw him off. So if you don't know, this is all, you know, a whole scam going on to get him locked up again. Because Lila Loomis wants him locked up for what she did, what Norman did to uh, her sister. Right. Okay. We find out she's scamming Norman. However, she starts to sympathize with Norman. And says, he's really not like that no more. She ends up fighting with her mother over the fact. Then, when Norman really starts breaking down, he really just starts losing it. Mary Loomis starts crying. And she's like,
8: Norman, come on, you know. You know, this
5: isn't mother of Norman. It's my, it's my mother. It's not yours, blah, blah. And Norman actually starts believing that his mother is back. Or somebody who's telling him, I'm your real mother. Right. So... Norman is buying into it again, and this girl feels really guilty. So what really shocks me, Mike, is at the end of the movie, he's coming up to her,
8: mm-hmm.
5: and saying, yes, mother, yes, mother, or whatever he's saying, I'll do whatever you say, mother, blah, blah. Because she's dressed up as her. Right. She starts stabbing Norman like crazy. Stabbing his palms, stabbing his Oh, his, his hands hat. got all cut up. Yeah. I mean, why didn't you feel like, like, come on, we were well, we starting to like you. What the hell are you doing?
6: Yeah, but you know what happened? She, 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 was like fall, she was falling in love with him, yes, but she eventually got to the point where she just set off that trigger in his brain. That's why when I said he wasn't completely cu- you know, he's not completely cured because he still has in the back of his mind that inclination to, you know, believe that his mother is still alive. Even though the doctor showed him her corpse, he still in his head thought she was alive.
5: I think once he showed the corpse, Norman might have said that to the new, to that phone caller, and then she said, no, 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 I'm your real mother. Right. And then he bought into it again. And, but we're going to get into who his real mother is in Psycho 3. Right. Even though...
6: Well, you got the though, end of It starts at the end of Psycho 2.
5: Yes, but, as you know, the explanation for what really is going on was told at the very end of Psycho 3.
6: Right. I don't know what definitely yeah. was... But I still like yes. the, the part at the end of Psycho 2. My, my favorite is when he's like, you know, he has a shovel and he's like, you're sure you want to have a sandwich? And she's like, pardon, and it's like, boom, and she like falls down. I love it.
5: And just in case anybody didn't catch on, um, in Psycho 1, when Marion Crane signs her name, she writes Marie Samuels right. to change, oh, oh, another point I was making, changing her identity. Just like Norman changes from Norman to mother, yes. Marion and Marie Samuels.
6: Everyone's changing
5: their identity back and forth, you know? Mm -hmm. Very, very parallel characters. Just so everybody knows, the town was called Fairville, where Norman uh, had the motel, and that was the same town as in Gremlins and Back to the Future. And um, it's, it's located on the Universal backlogs. Right. A lot of people don't know this. In the shooting script, before it was rewritten and everything else, an extended scene in the sheriff's office at the end of Psycho 2 revealed that Mary survives that gunshot, and the sheriff says she's, uh, she'll pull through okay, but she goes mad. She goes crazy. Really? Yeah. Every psycho fan, we have to say uh, mad. Uh, we all go a little mad sometimes.
6: So they never right? shot that scene? No.
5: Deputy Poole telling us that she will pull through, was uh, they decided that she should just die. And they were going to go... And, you know, you you do know why. Basically, because they wanted to do... They already had talks about Psycho 3, and Anthony already discussed how he does not want to work with her anymore.
6: Ah, so that's why they did it. Yeah. Because if they were... if, if, If everything was fine, and he never heard her say what she said, Psycho 3 could have been an entirely different film. Actually, Mike, Psycho 3
5: could have been an entirely different film for many, many reasons. Psycho 3 was actually supposed to be a very different movie from what we all saw. About Psycho 2, Mrs. Spool comes in and tells him she was the mother.
11: Right. Now, when
5: you first heard that, were you going, oh, God, another stupid storyline where they're going to convolute everything and just say, oh, well, I'm your mother. That's how this happened. Blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, the classic Mrs. Bates is just a wacky chick. Like, no, were you mean... pissed off?
6: No, you know, you know what I thought? I thought it was very clever, because n- then that explains that Mary and her mother really weren't doing the killing, that it was Mrs. Spool the whole time.
5: Well, that's fine, but did you were you mad that they made believe, for that movie, for that few minutes of that movie, that uh, Mrs. Bates, who we all know and love from part one, and what we all thought of in part two till that, was just not his mother? Doesn't that kind of... I mean, she was in his house in the window all those years, and now it wasn't even his mother. Wouldn't that kind of take away?
6: See, not really, though, because he kind of thought that it was, and we kind of thought that it was. But, you know, you could sense that they kind of wanted to add another layer to it. That, that's all they were trying to do. To Norman, that was his mother. It was more symbolic than genetic. Right. At that point, once they laid that on us.
5: Okay. Okay, do you want to wrap up? Psycho Give us your overall rating, how you feel to continue the story. Could it have been better? Do you like the cast? Do you like the music? How do you feel?
6: I love the music. Uh, the cast I thought was great. The acting was, especially on Anthony Perkins' part, was, was superb because you really got to feel um, like his descent into darkness again. Like he started out sane, and then you could see as the movie went on and the, ev- and the events unfolded, he kind of drifted deeper into the darkness, which right. made for a great character study. You know, and after reading the Psycho Two novelization, now, if you read the, the novel for the original Psycho, you'll know that the movie followed very closely with the book. However, Psycho Two novelization was completely different. Completely different. Completely different. Right. And had Norman kind of... Uh, dressing as a nun to escape the insane asylum and then go to Hollywood to stop a movie about the uh, Bates Motel being made, from being made. All right, well, let's
5: all thank Universal, is it? Let's thank them for not... And
6: and and Tom Holland, who wrote the script. Yes, thank you, Tom. Um,
5: My feeling is that um, it was a very good movie. I was very satisfied. They could have sped up, they kind of... Stretched out a couple things. They could have sped it up a little bit. A couple scenes could have been cut. Still great. Norman's character. As Norman looks so different, he doesn't even look like the guy from Part 1 anymore. It's cool to know that it is him, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't talk like him at all. When you think of Norman, if you're a fan of the last three Psycho movies,
8: Mm -hmm. you don't even
5: hear the voice you hear in Psycho 1. You actually have to concentrate and differentiate the Norman base of 1960 with the 80s. Yeah. As far as character, like how I discussed that Jamie Lee Curtis was hardly Laurie Strode in Halloween 7. She was more like Jamie Lee Curtis.
8: Right.
5: Norman Bates is just going to be different. 22 years later, you're going to have a different way of talking. You're going to be a little softer. You're going to be a little more this because you've been so, your brain is fried. The drugs, the electric shock, who the hell knows what they did for? So he's not going to be the same guy. So I'm going to give it a pass. I'm going to say, okay, he didn't have the same delivery, he didn't have the same this or that, mannerisms, whatever. The a different guy. He's an adult now. He's 28, now he's like 50, 50. Right. Different guy, adult, different. So I'm going to give it a pass. I'm going to rate this movie out of a out of a 10. I'm going to give it an 8. And I give Psycho
6: 1 a 10. Definitely a 10. And 10. I agree with you on the... Uh, I'm going to have to go either an 8 or a 9, definitely, for that one. Cool.
11: And I
5: really did love... Meg Tilly in the movie and I'm sad to hear that they did not get along and it would have been nice to see her again because I did not like the girl in part three and we will get into part three and the mystery is Mrs. Spool Norman Bates's mother or is she just another crazy
6: person in a psycho movie
7: Thank you. learn from scratch, but I would never know how you know, to go with my affinity for the materials. I'm just to say of affection for uh, the cypress storage report. You know, they, they're tragedies. are modern-based tragedies. And so you really have to, to approach them with, with a certain amount of so reference. yeah, I think we're the, the tragedies. we the guys who think But also say they're just... to
4: relax to rest except Welcome to the in-depth look at the psycho movies. This segment is Psycho 3 1986. This was recorded on September 12, 2010 on the 18th anniversary of the death of Anthony Perkins. Your radio hosts are myself, Alex Edwards and Michael J.
5: Psycho 3. Here's why I like Psycho 3. Yes. In part one, Psycho 1 was basically an intro into the whole thing. We find out who Norman Bates is, the whole mother thing, so the first kill. Now we find out he's a killer. We get the whole ambiance of the Bates Motel, all the wacky hijinks that go on in the movie. We try to find out, is he going to get caught? Are the people going to trip him up? He's stuttering. Oh, no, they're going to catch him all this stuff, will he get away with it, will he get away with it, will he get away with it, bam, they just infiltrate his house, things hit the fan, and things go bad. Norman gets caught. Okay, so that's what that movie was about. Psycho 2, the whole point was Norman's back. After 22 years, he's back, he's back, he's back. Now we got Lila and her daughter trying to make him go crazy again. Hence, they find out, he's not actually even killing people he couldn't have because she was with him during this time or that time. It was all focused, though, on making him go crazy. Let's make him crazy. Let's get revenge, revenge, revenge. Okay, fine. Psycho 3 is just another day at the Bates Motel.
6: Right.
5: We always wondered, wow, it would be so cool. Wouldn't you stay at the Bates Motel? Wouldn't you stay there? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, well, guess what? Because you want to be there just as a normal night. So in Psycho 3 we get to see what happens on a and a normal night at the base Motel. So Mm -hmm. the football team, they're having a big game against Fairville and someone else. They stay there.
6: Fairville and Central, that was the game.
5: That's right, that's right. Some people don't go home. It's just another night at the base Motel. Very cozy. Norman's back in the swing of things. He got the mother in the window again. I don't know how he has the balls to do that after all that's happened, and now that people are missing, and I don't know. But he does it anyway. Doesn't care. He's obviously crazy again. And at this point... He's doing, the, he's doing the killing again. His mother has taken over because now that he has mother physically in the chair in the window, now Norman is completely back to what he was in cycle one. Right. So now we get to see what happens on a normal basis. Okay. How do you feel about the religious subtext? Mm. Um, the quotes like, there is no God, the whole thing that she's a nun, Jesus being on the dashboard of um, Duke's car. Right. Um, The suicide, it's to to, uh, kill yourself, it's a sin, and all the religious stuff. How how do you feel about
6: that, being in this movie? Well, I mean, it just says that Maureen, that she, in a way, was just like Norman. Uh, She didn't know, not that she was crazy, but she didn't know where she fit in life. And she really didn't have anything in life.
5: It's funny uh, to say, another dual identity, isn't
6: it? In a sense, yes.
5: She's a... A nun,
6: mm. and she also
5: craves the um, touch of uh, flesh. Right, and she she wants to kill herself. She she devotes her life to God, and then she also at the same time goes to take God's greatest gift from you away. Right, this is Anthony Perkins' directorial debut. Norman Bates himself directed Psycho three. I think he did a really good job. Uh, in an interview, Anthony Perkins, uh, just before his death, admitted. He was not up to the task of directing the movie because he felt he didn't have the technical knowledge and it, he's, his knowledge was just too limited. Nice. How do you feel? He did, even though he had his own doubts, and it was his debut. A lot of directors, Mike, their first film is terrible.
6: Right. Uh, I don't think it was a terrible film. I think he, uh, I think he handled it quite well. I mean, it still has, um, you know, it has the atmosphere of. Uh, the first film, I can't really say the second, because the second was a different movie. Like I said, it was kind of like he started out, you know, sane and then kind of um, drifted uh, back into darkness. And it's like the third one were put into, you know, right in the darkness, and then it goes to, you know, him trying to get redemption or, or something like that.
5: Funny you said that. You're very... I love having you as a co-host tonight. You bring up a lot of interesting points, and one of them is this. You said that Psycho 3 is a lot like Psycho 1. Well, guess what, Mike? When Anthony Perkins was told he was going to be in control of the movie, he suggested that the movie be shot in black and white as an homage to the original Psycho. But Universal opposed it. And they were right to do so. I think they did the right decision. It was nice that uh, Anthony wanted to make it, you know, whatever... I don't think it would have worked. Uh
6: yeah, I kind of agree with that. I don't I don't yeah, I definitely don't think it would've worked. You know, it was definitely a nice thought. It just it 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 does it definitely has the same feel to it, I think. Yeah.
5: I love the I love the feel to it. The music was great. One of my favorite scenes ever is the scene, I hope everybody remembers it, who's a fan of the movie. <sighs> During the uh the kids hanging out with the football thing, hanging out in the motel, you see a uh a black and white TV going, and does like these people in the water, like heavy, heavy, you know, currents. Uh, I don't know, the boats are going crazy, and then they pan over to Norman sitting in the windowsill. Remember that?
6: Yep, I know that shot.
5: That's a beautiful shot. That and is. On a nice, cool summer night, just, you know, during my crazier times in life, I, when I'm single and I'm not so occupied, my mind goes to other places, and, and one of them is being sort of in my own world and crazy and misunderstood. And I feel like I would rather do nothing in the world than be in that motel, running the motel and living in that house and having my mother, my dead mother, in, in the window sitting in a chair. And I would feel completely comfortable. And it would be like the greatest nice life. And, and that picture of him sitting in the windowsill is like captures all that in one thing for me. I have a staring right now at my Bates Motel uh, sign that's lit up vacancy in my window in my apartment. My landlord loves that. I'm sure. No one actually came over here to uh, check, check in. No. I don't think they would have if it was a real base Motel, sign.
6: Right.
8: <laughs> okay, well,
5: let's see. Let's get back into the movie. I, got, I pulled something from Fangoria Magazine, and this is what uh, I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. How the movie uh, Psycho 3 was supposed to be very different. You mentioned it would have been different with Mary yeah. Lewis. Check this out. Here's mm-hmm. what it was supposed to be. According to Fangoria Magazine, issue number 57 in the original script, Dwayne, who was the killer, had intentionally come to the Bates Motel because he was obsessed with Norman. Maureen was a neurotic psychologist who had come to the motel to replace Dr. Raymond from part two. They intended the original victim, Janet Lee, to be a part of the cast. Universal rejected it, arguing that Norman should be the killer and Janet Lee was wrong for the film. However, Maureen's actions remained virtually unchanged and her character was merely changed to a young nun. So,
7: so
5: Dwayne was supposed to be the killer, and he was going to emulate Norman Bates'
6: crime. How do you feel? How would you feel if the movie went in that direction? It would definitely be different. So you're saying that the... Uh, I don't know if I would have liked it that much, you know, if it right. would have went yeah. down that road.
5: We were able to get over the fact that in Psycho 2, Norman was not the killer.
6: Right. But
5: we did get a nice... We got a nice bang at the end.
6: Yeah, we did.
5: Well, he might have killed, uh, Duke in Psycho 3, regardless,
6: mm-hmm.
5: at the end, because, uh, they probably would have made Norman the hero, much like right. they did with Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2. We go from he's the bad guy to the good guy. Now, in horror movies, the world is known for cheering on the good guy, uh, the bad guys anyway.
6: Right.
5: I mean, I don't see Jason not getting cheers, and Michael, Freddie. I think a lot of people laughed and clapped when Norman banged that lady over the head. And
6: you know, but, what, but another point um, that I want to make is, okay, if they were going to make Duke uh, come in there and, and be the, the killer from the second one, maybe who wanted or make Duke be the killer from this one who wanted to emulate Norman, okay, then then what would we say happened with Norman at the end of, of 2 when he killed Mrs. Spool, his quote-unquote real mother? Um, are we just, as an audience, supposed to ignore that like it never happened?
5: I guess we were supposed to take that and just say, um, well, he killed her, replaced the corpse on the window. Right, and so then
6: are we supposed to say then that in Psycho 3, okay, then Norman is insane, but Duke is also insane. So we have two crazy people. Yes. Which in my mind, wouldn't have made for a good film. I'm glad they didn't go that route.
5: I think if Psycho went, Psycho 3 went that route... Um, that's, that's my thought. Yeah. Duke had a lot of fun, and I think one of his greatest scenes of the movie uh, that he had most fun with was... um Sure, yeah, sure, remember this, that whole scene.
6: When oh, yeah, he, totally. Um, now, really was there sexy. not, was there not like, behind-the-scenes thing where Anthony Perkins did want him completely nude in that scene, and...
5: Yes, one of them nude
6: behind the two
5: lamps, partially cover himself, but Jeff Behe felt too uncomfortable being nude on camera.
6: Right. You are absolutely right.
5: As many know, the girl that he picked up after one lousy drink mm-hmm. was... The redhead from Friday the 13th Part 5. Right. A stuntman, Kurt Paul, played Mother in the scene when um, Mother goes to kill uh, Maureen and she already split <laughs> her wrist. So once again, Norman uh, Anthony Perkins does not play a mother. His mother in a psycho movie. So it was the second time in a row that this happens, and uh, that's why we never get to see Mother's face on screen. Her face is always blacked out, and all you see is the light from the background, you know? It's always hidden in the shadows. And that's why, because Norman never plays her. However, as we all know at the very end of the movie, which I will play a clip from after I give... uh... So you know what? I can go ahead and do that. I'll give the clip now. Okay. This is Mrs. Spool, really Norman's mother. (laughs) Well, turns out that um, Tracy Venable did a lot of research went to a lot of places, and and talked to a lot of people. And this is what she finds out, and this is the only time that you see Norman Bates in his mother's outfit, besides the very end of part one, and he talks in his mother's voice on camera. This is the scene that explains Will Norman's mother. What set
8: you off again, Norman? This fool? You killed her, didn't you? What did she do? Come to you and tell you that she was your mother? She... She was crazy, Norman, but she wasn't your mother. Neither are you. Mrs. Fool was your aunt, Norman. She was in love with your father, but your mother stole it away from her. I fool. Killed your father in a jealous rage and kidnapped you when you were just a baby. She killed your mother because darcy with him! She's crazy! They locked her away! It's lies. It's all lies! Norman! She's a lying whore! Oh. Norman, where are you?
5: She's a slut! In the next movie, in the prequel, we find out that... Norman's father died of bee sting. Unless Mrs. Spool threw a beehive at his head. Hm? Or, like I said one other time, he was the camper in uh, Sleepaway Camp 1 who had the beehive dropped in the toilet while he was taking a dump.
6: Right. There's no continuity. There's a big continuity error there.
5: Right. Uh, by the way, when she, if that was the case and she dumped a beehive while he was taking a crap, um, we do have a, a, a cut from that, actually. This shit box is
8: gross. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, he was actually... That was him. Yeah, so I, th- I think that must have been what happened. There, there, there's a little hole in that in that whole thing. So anyway, Universal felt the film needed a better ending with more of a twist. Um, so Anthony Perkins was called back to shoot a final scene. We're not really sure if it's. Uh, I think I think what they're saying is the scene where um, he pulls the dead mother's hand out while he's in the back of the car and smiles at the camera. Right. And, and that was a nice homage to look at the camera like he did at the end of part one. Another one was um, you actually see uh, Mary's book from Psycho 2 titled In the Belly of the Beast, It's right. Laying in the Dirt by Norman's House in Psycho 3. Yes. Here's some sad news. During the filming of Psycho 3, my favorite psycho, right. Anthony Perkins, was diagnosed HIV positive.
6: Oh, during went the filming of it.
5: Yes, when he went for a routine medical examination. And we all know that's how he died. Yes. So, unfortunately, during, I think, his high point, favorite character of mine, he heard the worst news of his life, which ended up being the downfall. Oh, God, I'm kind of bummed out just by thinking about it. Okay, Mike, give us your overall breakdown of Psycho 3. How'd you like the music? How'd you like the story? How'd you like the directing? And how'd you like the characters?
6: Well, the characters, again, here are an A+. And unlike you, I also liked, uh, I I mean, I liked... uh... Diana uh, Scarwood, um in the role of uh, Maureen Coyle. I thought Tracy Venable was also a very good character. Uh, Duke is probably uh, my favorite uh, supporting character, but I think, and you may disagree, but I think this was probably the best performance that um, Anthony Perkins uh, put in as um, Norman. I the music don't, was, what's that? I
5: don't disagree it was just a very different performance if you notice he was very nervous right. in this one he stuttered almost every line
6: right but see um, i think that that was i think that that was part of the character trying to just deal with with you know what was going on i mean he was in madness again and like in the first one he didn't want to get caught he wanted to hide that other self the other personality from the rest of the world and the reason he stuttered was because he wanted he wanted to try to keep himself in check, I guess, and he got nervous around people. It's much right. like the first one. His performance in three kind of mirrors the first one a lot. Right. Oh, I, I don't,
5: I don't disagree, and I'm not even saying um, I, I didn't like it. I think the reason the guy is nervous in part three,
8: mm-hmm. what, what's going on? He
5: killed Miss Spool. He's wondering if anyone will find out, I'm sure, at some point. He went to stab Maureen in the shower and kill her because Mother thought she was a pig, or a slut, or whatever you want to call it. Right. So, he ends up saving her. Now, you know what's really interesting about that scene? At what point did Mother leave and Norman come in and save Maureen?
6: I I think it was when he opened up that curtain and saw that she had already, like, tried to kill herself, and she had slit her wrists, and she was bleeding. I think at that point, um, scared little boy that was inside of Norman kind of came out and kind of, you know, um, held back the, the the darker mother personality. Yes. It, it must have been an
5: interesting mind trip
6: mm-hmm.
5: that uh, Norman took at that point. Yes. What I want to say about it, great movie. Great rewatchability. Um, really got me into the franchise, like, really locked me in. Um, I know you're probably thinking I'm crazy because I put it above Cycle 1. Now, I'm not saying it's a better movie or anything like that. I know. Hey, listen, I like I like Cabin Boy with Chris Elliott. I think it's one of the best movies in the world. It's horrible. It's, it's a comedy, but it's probably known as one of the dumbest things ever created. But I like it. You know, I don't care if Stanley Kubrick directed it or John Carpenter or whatever. And, uh, hey, it's not so bad that Norman Bates directed it, but I'm just saying I'm not like a, a connoisseur of the greatest films exactly. I, you know, I, let's face it, anybody who likes horror doesn't exactly have the best taste. Is Friday 13th part 3 or 5 or 7 really good movies? Or do we just like them because Jason's in them and they're horror and, and we're already a part of it, we're already invested in it. They're not really good movies, they're not actually good. And Halloween, four is okay, five is horrible,
8: mm-hmm. six
5: is okay, but you like it more because, you know, sentimental reasons. Technically Technically, yeah, technically it's not a good movie. It's not up for any Oscar nominations, right? Nothing. Right. But we like it, and that's all that, that really matters, okay? Mm-hmm.
8: So I'm just going to say
5: that. So people, if you think I'm crazy for liking it above one, just really
6: think about it a little more.
11: This is Trailers from Hell, and I'm Mick Garris. And I'm going to talk about a film that I did early in my career that some may feel was folly and others might think was opportunity. Um, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, of course, is one of the great films of all time. Uh, In 1990, uh, Universal gave me the opportunity to direct Psycho 4. Anthony Perkins, the star, had directed Psycho 3, which was not well-received and was not successful at the box office. He wanted to direct Psycho 4, but the studio wanted me instead. So it was an interesting time with the director of Critters 2 directing Tony Perkins in Psycho 4, the beginning. Probably a lot of people would have turned down the opportunity to direct Psycho 4 and feel that they're stepping into the shoes of the master. I thought a lot of the onus of that had been taken away by the fact that there had been two sequels in between and there'd been 30 years in between Psycho and Psycho 4, the beginning. It also was written by Joe Stefano who wrote the screenplay for the original Psycho. The executive producer was Hitchcock's first AD, Hilton Green, on the original Psycho. We used a lot of the original sets, Tony Perkins was back to play Norman Bates, and there was a lot of verisimilitude uh, and, and a lot of respect for the original movie, which is one of the greats. I also chose to use a very high element of color and to make it visually very much not like the original Psycho, try and give it almost a technicolor feel in opposition to the black and white that Hitchcock had used. But I didn't know why no one had used one of the greatest scores ever in the two preceding sequels, the unbelievable Bernard Herrmann score for Psycho, which he described as black-and-white music because there was no horns or percussion, just strings. So we actually reorchestrated that music. I met Henry Thomas for the first time when he was 18 years old and uh, living in Texas. I went to see him about playing a young Norman Bates in this. And he was amazing. Uh, You know, it was my first opportunity to meet him. He had played Elliot in E.T. earlier and was quite a revelation, and we've worked several times since. The real revelation was Olivia Hussey as mother. Beautiful and sexy and terrific. Perkins... Uh, had a lot of issues to deal with. He was the first movie star I'd ever worked with. It was challenging for me. This guy knew the character better than anybody. But we would have discussions on how it would be approached. Uh, Norman had become kind of a campy character in Psycho 2 and 3, and I wanted to make sure we retained the drama of it and keep the seriousness of it. And so I think Perkins did an amazing job in this, and uh, I'm really proud of this movie that could have been very embarrassing. Welcome
4: to the in-depth look at the Psycho movies. This segment is Psycho 4, 1990. This was recorded on September 12, 2010 on the 18th anniversary of the death of Anthony Perkins. Your radio hosts are myself, Alex Edwards, and Michael J.
5: And now we will wrap it up with Cycle 4, The Beginning. Straight to showtime. Straight to DVD, or tape, I should say. Never hit theaters, and this movie was supposed to explain everything. Okay, I know I'm coming off already with my tone, as if I don't like it. It's not true. Thought it was okay. Thought it was pretty good. Of course, Mike. Nobody likes plot holes. Right. What do you want me to do? Just major, major holes in this movie. The dress worn by Norman in Psycho 3 was worn by his mother in this prequel. Okay. I I thought that was pretty interesting when I found that out. Really? I didn't
6: know that she did that. Yep. Okay, this was
5: the first film to be filmed at Universal Studios in Florida. Mm -hmm. So they had to get another house. So they rebuilt the Psycho house. And The Motel, of course, was new. This movie had several different endings that were shot for it. It would keep the ending a secret. I don't really know why. I don't see what was so great about the ending, but okay. This is the only one of the Cyclist sequels to use Bernard Herrmann's theme
6: of, you know, the original. And it was also written by the the same gentleman who wrote the uh, screenplay for the original. That's right. Joseph Stefano. Yes.
5: And it and, and makes you a little bit more upset that there's... Right. Doesn't it? You're
6: wondering... If, you're, if,
5: if He probably would say, if someone's going to mangle my work, it might as well be me. Well, hey, why mangle it? Why don't you just pay attention? Um, okay, well, no, number one, the interior of the, uh, the mother's bedroom is different from the set in all of the other films. If you remember, Norma locks Norman in a closet and says, here, you're a girl, because mm-hmm. when, they're rolling around, when they're rolling around on the floor... Like every mother and son do, when the kid, and all the, oh, the kid crawls into bed in his underwear, wet underwear, like normal kids, he gets a hard on. Now, hey, she's kind of cute. If I was rolling around on the floor with her, I just might too. Uh, especially if I was a little kid and I never, I don't even know what sex is and I'm rolling around with a chick. Sometimes your mind gets confused. I've had my friends tell me that they had freaky dreams of they were having sex with their mothers. And then when they realized what they were doing, they jumped off. Now, that's a whole cycle, you know, there's reasons for those dreams. That means something. Right. Attachment with things or this and that. So it's not the craziest thing for a son to have odd feelings for his mother. Sometimes they get a little confused. But anyway, the internal of the mother's room is different. Now there's a closet, and there was no closet there in any of the other movies. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole thing was dismantled shortly after the film. It's all gone. So don't anybody go to Universal Studios in Florida to see the Psycho uh, house and motel. It's all
6: gone. Right.
5: Well, Mike, what do you want to say about this?
6: Um, You know, I'm just wondering the the time span between Psycho 3 and Psycho 4, because obviously in Psycho 3 he was locked up again at the end of it. And I'm wondering how long he was incarcerated for this time before they let him out. is four years, Mike. Well, no, I know that. I know in movie time oh, about oh, four oh. years. I mean, movie time spent, yeah. Yes.
5: I really have no idea. If you go by what he looks like, uh, he doesn't look too
6: much older. Right. See, it probably was about four or five years after uh, Psycho 3.
5: I think they sacrificed. I think you have to suspend belief in this movie because...
6: I think they realize, look,
5: unlike these killers, it's hard to bring back a guy who's supposed to be locked up and this and that. So let's just just say, hey, he's out, whatever. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't think there is. It's, it's hard to answer this because I, I don't think there is a, a legitimate answer for you. I think Norman was in, he was locked up again in the asylum and he was just like,
8: I've had it with this jump.
5: And just left. And um, if anybody, if anybody said uh, Norman, you're you're going to stay here for a very long time, and you're never getting out of here, he was just going to chop
8: you up into itty bitty pieces, my friend.
5: (laughs) Yeah.
6: And
5: eventually, eventually everybody who was working there in the asylum just
6: said, "Go away." (laughs) Wow. And then he left. Yeah. Yeah. See, but unlike you, I mean, I actually did like the ending of the film. I mean, granted. There's a lot of plot holes. There's a lot of issues where, you know, the facts weren't always correct. But I did, I did, however, like the fact that the house did burn at the end because I thought that it, you know, it, it brought a it kind of nice and 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 full circle to the whole thing. And plus, I liked how at the end, you know, you find out that the wife is pregnant, and ultimately, Norman, I guess, discovers when he finds out that the wife is pregnant, and he sees her face to face. And, you know, when he's thinking about killing her, it, it just comes out that, you know, his, his, his human side comes out. And you just see that, that maybe he is a monster and he realizes that. And the whole thing is he's afraid that he's going to pass it on to the child. It, it just, well, it gets to a point where he's, he's, you know, he's realizing that he has to keep his sanity now. He can't go well, to that dark point. place.
5: Yeah, I, he's willing to kill his own wife and broadcast on the radio. I just want to tell every, every every girl out there, if a guy tells you he does not want to have a kid, do not. <laughs> oh. That's Don't probably do. the worst thing you could do to a guy. Probably. So, Norman's on the radio. He calls in. Here's the plot in case nobody saw it. He calls into a radio show, much like ours. He basically tells them what they want to hear. They're doing a study on people who kill their mothers.
8: Yes, matricide.
5: Mostly matricide. It's mostly men who do this. Women kill their mothers, but not at the rate or for the same general reason. Norman gives his insight, basically tells you everything he's been doing for the last, I'll say, 40 years, except for the 22 he's been locked up. Let's just say 27 total, 20. Okay, well, basically he says... I had to kill before and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to kill my wife because she tricked me and she got pregnant and I don't want her to have a kid because the kid will have the same genes as me. So Norman feels it's okay to do wrong to do a right. In his mind, it's justified that he could kill his wife, so his seed is not a killer when it gets older. Here's what I like about this storyline. It leaves Cycle Five open for business. You now have the son of Norman Bates. You do. Never happened, unfortunately. But I think the the thing that came after it could have come after Cycle Three. I'm not sure.
6: It did. But have you in the seen account- the
5: movie? Yes.
6: Yes. It was in 1987, so it was actually okay. So cycle. it was okay. Made for TV. I film. saw that.
5: Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, that's wrong. Check this out.
8: Mm-hmm. That was
5: supposed to be a TV show. From what I heard, tell me if I'm wrong, that was supposed to be a TV show, and they just didn't really think it would work. So that was supposed to be the first episode with that chick with the prom and everyone's dead. And that was supposed to be the first episode. And they basically said, well, look, we shot it. Okay, it's fine. We don't think it's going to – we just don't see it happening. Dress it up. We're going to make it a movie. Just put it on TV. It's a made-for-TV movie. And that's it. We're not going to go through with your Bates Motel TV show. Right. Is that right?
6: Um, I think okay. so. But, I mean, I don't know enough about that. I've, I've only seen it a few times. I'm actually uh, trying to track down a copy uh, at this point. I had one. Oh, do you? Yeah,
5: I'll send it to you.
6: Ah, very cool.
5: Good good little movie, I guess. You know, yeah. uh, somebody else played uh, Norman Bates. Unfortunately, Norman would not do the cameo.
6: Well, Norman was dead. No, no, no.
5: He was alive in 1990.
6: Yeah, yeah, I know that, but the Norman character was 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 dead in Bates Motel, and the guy. No, had, no, no. The guy that no, took the the, hotel, the, the guy that took the motel had his ashes.
5: Yeah, but he was in the beginning of the movie, and then he died, then left the motel to that guy.
6: I forgot that he was. See, it's been so long since I've seen it, I don't even really remember it. <laughs>
5: even though Norman died, they decided that they're going to do a little cameo of Norman, and he gets into a car and gets driven away into some other place or something like that. Okay, Psycho 4. You get to relive everything. has a good feel to it. You do feel like it's in the 1950s, late 40s, I guess. Pretty close. Good casting of the mother. I wish she didn't have so much of an accent, because you don't really get that. in the. Right. In the oh, by the way, if, um, in case anybody doesn't know, that the same person played Mother's Voice in all three Psycho movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, came back to do in part two and three. I
6: thought. And,
5: uh, the lady, yeah, and the lady who played Norman's mom, of course, did it for that one as her own voice.
6: Right. And the person
5: casted as Norman Bates as a young boy is the kid from E.T. <laughs> yeah, when
6: uh, Henry Thomas when he's the uh, teenager. Henry Thomas. Yes. Yep. He was Elliott. Um, yeah,
5: it was an okay. Job, he did good. Nothing wrong with it. The ending is he um, does yes. it the better. He's he's a better man, and he does not kill his uh, his wife. Right. And at the end of the movie, you hear a baby crying.
6: Well, he burns and the hotel down in the house, to Well, yeah, not, the hotel, the house. not the motel, but the house. Because, you know, that that's that's basically, I think, to symbolize, you know, that's the only way that he can really kill the ghosts and his mother forever. Well, the ghosts were
5: in, in the house. Right. As he was right? you know, in his mind, of course. And they were even talking to him. Uh, some of the things said... Fuck you, asshole. <clears>
8: okay.
5: <throat> <laughs> that's what one of the that's what one of the guys who he killed said to him.
6: Right. Uh, the girl who wanted
5: to have sex with him in the prequel, he saw yeah. her too, and she
8: said, "Damn, you look good."
5: Mm-hmm. That was her. So she she still wanted to have sex with Norman. Right. And one of the other guys that Norman killed. Uh,
8: God damn you! Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but
5: I think I think that's all the quotes we got from Cycle Four. One one person. You're gonna love my nuts. Wow. Yeah, yeah. uh, So no one's going to love anything. You're dead. Yeah. So that's about it. That covers it. I'm sorry if you thought the fourth movie our coverage on that was a little weak. Admittedly, I've watched it the least of all the other psychos. I guess that would be my least favorite. Right. I have nothing against it, just not my, not something I want to watch, uh, very often.
6: And, uh, Anthony Perkins did die, um, two years after, uh, Psycho 4. He died in 1992, I believe.
5: He actually died on September 11th, or was it September 10th?
6: Was it? Yeah,
5: it was one of those, and here's some interesting trivia for all you Twin Towers enthusiasts like myself. His widow was in one of the airplanes that crashed into the Twin Towers.
6: No way. Really? And
5: Yeah, what makes it even more strange is that he died, I think, exactly the same day, nine or ten years earlier. Let me just check that. I'm sorry, I should have had this uh, readily available for me for this uh, spotlight. Here we go. Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins, died September 12, 1992, at age
6: 60. September 12th. That is actually today. It is? It is. Today oh is September God. 12th. So uh, we lost um, Anthony Perkins um, today. 18 years ago today.
5: Amazing. What a coincidence. You know, when I said I want to do a show for this, I swear I had no idea. And oddly, yesterday, his wife died. Mm-hmm. She, was in, she was in Flight 11. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Talk about everything being meant to be. How creepy is that, huh?
6: Very weird, isn't it?
5: I think I'm going to do something special about that. I'm going to start doing something for his death. I'm going to watch a psycho movie every September 12th.
8: You should. and
5: uh, to c- celebrate his life if anybody wants to do anything his birthdays are April 4th
6: April 4th 32. Mm. Yeah.
5: so this is um, this was an honor Mike because I, I, I'm i amazed that we're doing this on September 12th the day he died and it's, yes. it even makes him more special more memorable just like our Friday 13th interviews on Friday 13th it's just it's that much more important Anthony thank you very much you really made an impression you changed Horror. People don't even know. They think Halloween's the only thing. Hey, Halloween was 18 years after Your Psycho. Right. And Michael Myers ran around with a butcher knife just like you do. Thank you for everything. You are, you are Norman Bates. You always will be. You're an icon, a legend, and my favorite slasher of all time. And made my favorite movies of all time. Mike. I agree.
6: Gave us uh, some great films. He was a great actor made a lot of great films. The most notable of those were uh, Psycho, a lot of contributions to the uh, to horror in that, in that sense. He, he was just the, the driving... F- his, his portrayal in Psycho uh, influenced a lot of people, um, influenced horror greatly, I think. Without Norman Bates, we wouldn't have a horror genre today. So
5: I agree. If anybody wants to buy Psycho House, scale down... Uh, It's a little model Go to Amazon.com Round 2 Polar Light Psycho Dash Bates Mansion Look that up, I ordered it today Another coincidence, September 12th Cool Okay, we have uh, 90 seconds to the show end Well, thank you Mike Very memorable night I I appreciate it a lot, you were a really great co-host This was a great tribute to Psycho Everybody get Psycho on Blu-ray, October 19th The original, and it has a ton of specials on it and also pick up psycho legacy somebody we were interviewing um his name is robert he uh directed that produced it it's going to be a documentary on all four psycho movies. we hope you enjoyed psycho spotlight have a great night
4: well that's the end i hope you enjoyed this special rebroadcast of the spotlight on the psycho franchise Paraton.